Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 21 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I've discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you for taking the time to download and check out the show today, my friend. I really appreciate you being part of our expedition into the wildlands today. Now that the podcast is officially 21 episodes old, according to United States law, we can officially buy our own alcohol. So from here on out, the cooler by the campfire will more than likely have some beer and bourbon in it to accentuate the mood and enhance the storytelling experience. Dee Dee, the canine leader of our expedition and canine second-in-command Dexter, will be around to greet you and check to see if you have any leftover food from Thanksgiving you might be willing to part with. We celebrated Thanksgiving here in the United States last week and our dogs were spoiled, to say the least. It's hard not including them in our feasting since both Dee Dee and Dexter are so much a part of our family, so if you have any scraps that you're hanging on to and want to give up, they'd very much appreciate it. And if you don't, a loving pat on the head will do just fine. On today's episode, we're checking out a game that I've been meaning to fire up on the Super Nintendo, but I keep putting it off. That is, until today. Originally released in arcades, we're checking out Sunset Riders for the Super Nintendo. I was fortunate enough to play this game in the arcade a time or two back in my youth, and I fell in love with the Wild West aesthetic. In terms of presentation and gameplay, the best way I can describe this game is by comparing it to Contra and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. It's like they came together, had a baby, and they named that baby Sunset Riders. The visuals and musical score are very comparable to Turtles in Time, and the gameplay is very much like Contra. Which makes sense, since all three games are from developer Konami. In this game, we play as one of four bounty hunters, and our job is to rid the Wild West of some nasty outlaws. While there's your usual low-lives, scumbags, and bad guys out there, they don't pay very well. To collect the biggest rewards, we need to go after and fry the biggest fish. I'm talking vermin like the greedy Simon Greedwell, the bandito named Poco Loco, and the dapper English Diablo named Sir Richard Rose. Each of these low lives has a hefty price on their heads, and it'll be up to us to bring them all to justice. Sunset Riders is a game that is very fun to play. I can't remember the last time I played it in the arcades, but when I decided to pop it in and play it on the Super Nintendo, I had a very hard time putting it down. I was not expecting this game to put its hooks in me like it did. It was just fun to play, and I had a blast diving into the Wild West while I took out bad guy after bad guy with my trusty six-shooter. And even though I found myself getting my ass handed to me pretty regularly and often, I couldn't wait to jump right back into the game and keep pushing forward. While I tend to find Sunset Riders on longer lists of those must-play video games out there, I usually don't hear or see people talking about it all that much. That's the one reason I decided to give this game a go and see if it was as fun as I remember. I am happy to report that it definitely is, and I can't wait to tell you my thoughts and experiences with this game. Now before we get into all that, I like to take some time during the introduction of each podcast episode and pull back the curtain a bit here in the Retro Wildlands and toss in some obligatory plugs. 
I use this time as an opportunity to let you all know what's going on with the podcast, what future episodes might be in the works, what games I'm playing, what I'm up to, and anything else that might be on my mind regarding gaming or whatever else. You're more than welcome to stick around as I ramble for a bit, but I can understand if you want to get right into the Sunset Riders talk. Now, if that's the case, you should be able to skip ahead about five or seven minutes and you'll get to the main event. You can also check out the description of the podcast itself, and there should be timestamps loaded, so if you want to know exactly where you need to go, check out the description and you can do that. So, my extended vacation from my full-time adult job is over, and I am back to burning the candle at both ends. I had a very good time when I was on vacation, though. I didn't really go anywhere, it was more of a staycation of sorts, but I did spend a lot of time on little projects around the house, and I did some things for the podcast. I won't bore you all with the details of all the things I cleaned up and organized at home, but I am most proud of getting my home office in order, and I did so by adding more shelving and just expanding the space that I have so I can bring in more of my growing video game collection. My home office where I work out of and where I record the podcast is actually a bedroom, so I have a closet area off to the right of where I sit. I cleared that out and organized it in such a way where I was able to put a TV in there and a couple of cheap shelves that now house some of my gaming consoles. My PlayStation, PlayStation 2, and Super Nintendo Classic are much easier to access when I just want a game and not have to worry about tying up the living room. The whole thing still needs some work though, but I'm liking how it's all coming together so far. When we moved into the house that I'm in now, I told my wife that we needed to get an extra bedroom so I could turn that room into a home office. It's evolved a bit over the years, but it's turned into my own personal outer heaven for anyone who knows that reference. Beyond working on my office and around the house, I've been working a lot on some little things for the podcast itself now that I was able to devote so much time to it. First thing I knocked off the to-do list was I re-recorded a new trailer for the show. It should still look the same if you see it, but now it's a little shorter, and it's very much to the point, and it sounds a hell of a lot better. If you have any friends, family, or internet acquaintances that you think might like the show, have them check out our trailer if they don't want to commit to checking out a whole episode. I've also been taking the time to talk to and network with some other podcasters and gamers around my area, and that's been a really fun time. I'm not usually the type to put myself out there, but I really want to see if we can grow the Retro Wildlands. That said, I've agreed to appear as a guest on a couple upcoming podcasts. It was very humbling, as both of the hosts of these particular podcasts approached me to be their guests, and I thought it would be really fun to hang out and talk games with these folks. Outside of having my own show, I've always wanted to be a guest on somebody else's podcast, so I was really excited for the opportunity. It'll probably be a while before everything lines up and those episodes drop, but I'll keep you all posted if you're at all interested in hearing me chat it up with some other podcasting hosts. Now, as far as what's coming up on this podcast in the next few weeks, I've started to get that Resident Evil itch again. It's probably the T-virus coursing its way through my veins, but it's an itch nonetheless. We started off the Retro Wildlands with the original Resident Evil, and we talked about Resident Evil 2 on Episode 9. Over this past weekend, I decided to fire up Resident Evil 3. I haven't played the third Resident Evil in quite a while, so it was pretty awesome jumping back into it after so many years. Since I own this game on the PlayStation Network, I downloaded it on my PlayStation Vita, and I've started to play it over there. 
Even on a handheld console, this game is awesome. While I can never play a Resident Evil game like it's the first time ever again, I love going back to one when so much time has passed. This way I don't have all the item locations and things committed to memory, and it's almost like I'm rediscovering it all over again. I'm also thinking about jumping back into the original Tomb Raider as well. I mentioned on last week's episode that I recently reacquired Tomb Raider from a local retro gaming store near me, and I've been itching to go back to it since I grabbed that one too. So really, next week's episode is going to be determined by which itch I want to scratch first. My itch for adventure, or my itch to survive the zombie-infested streets of Raccoon City. Time will tell. If you don't want to wait until next Thursday to see what episode drops, you can check us out over on our social media platforms. Not only do I normally post on the weekends what our next week's episode is going to be, I try to post other gaming-related content to spice up your timelines and feeds throughout the week. You can find us over on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter if you search at RetroWildlands if you're at all interested in following us. You'll get some insider looks at what it is that I'm playing for the show, and you'll also get the ability to submit comments or questions for that week's podcast, which I'll read and respond to in that show's intro if that's something that interests you. I'll toss some other cool stuff up there as well, like podcast episode previews, gameplay videos, photos of my game collection, and maybe even a photo of my canine companions or two. There's something for everyone, so check us out over on social if you're interested. Alright, I think that's all the plugs that I have and all the rambling I want to do for this week. It's time to get down to business. It's time to talk about Sunset Riders. Originally released in arcades in North America in September 1991, then on the Sega Genesis in December 1992, then on the Super Nintendo in 1993, we play as one of four bounty hunters who are taking up arms against some of the dirtiest scumbags around. It's going to take a brave bounty hunter to ride out and bring peace back to the valley. Fortunately, Steve, Billy, Bob, and Cormano are just the men to form a posse and corral these corrupt, cowardly crooks. We're going after some fearsome foes, so we'll need to be ready. So strap on your boots, grab your trusty six-shooter, and don't forget your cowboy hats. Or your sombrero, if you prefer. It's time to saddle up and bring some justice back to the valley, one bullet at a time. While I never spent a ton of time in the arcades when I was little, the times I did spend really stuck with me. We had a place close to my grandmother's house that we would go to on occasion for things like birthday parties and stuff like that, a pizza place that had a couple arcade machines set up in its lobby that I would play with my mom when we went to pick up dinner, and a few other random locations here and there. Other than hanging out with my mom and playing Pac-Man on a tabletop arcade machine, I don't really remember any specific instances of going to the arcades. But, what always stuck out for me, more than anything, were the games that I saw and the games that I played. There were the older games like your classic Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, and Missile Command, 
But when I close my eyes and think back, I think of games like Afterburner, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Simpsons, The X-Men, Terminator 2, and Lethal Enforcers. But it wasn't until I stumbled across Sunset Riders for the Super Nintendo did I remember this fantastic arcade game. What always caught my attention whenever I would walk by a Sunset Riders cabinet was the game's intro. It was super eye-catching and had this Saturday morning cartoon look that I couldn't keep my eyes off of. A good video game or show is that kind that not only grabs your attention, but finds a way to pull you into its world. Sunset Riders was a simple one. A world of good guys and bad guys, and the bad guys needed to go. The music that came from that cabinet was that of your traditional Wild West bravado, and I couldn't help but be swept up in it all. I have to imagine if you have siblings, you've played games like Cops and Robbers or Cowboys and Outlaws with your toy guns and stuff like that. I'm an only child, so I didn't have much of that growing up. That's a big reason why Sunset Riders and other video games mean so much to me. I did get to have a lot of those experiences, just in a different way. I never did get to play Sunset Riders on any gaming console growing up, though. While I had access to a Sega Genesis for a while and my parents owned a Super Nintendo, I never managed to play this game on either system. Not until recently, that is, and I'm happy to say, the Super Nintendo version of this game is an almost perfect port of the arcade game. Almost. The Genesis version, though, was a lot more stripped down than I would have liked to see, but they had it on a 4 megabit cartridge if I recall correctly, so there wasn't much space to cram it all in. I think it'll be fun to check out these differences later, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's peel back the layers here and see what it is that we're working with. So, what is this game? Sunset Riders is a side-scrolling run-and-gun shooter where we play as a bounty hunter who is out to collect money by doing what bounty hunters do best. Collect bounties. And we're going to be doing that by going after eight of the most wanted outlaws in all the Wild West. Yeehaw! We can play as one of four characters. Steve, Billy, Bob, or Cormano. Not much is known about our bounty hunter heroes, but they're all different, and depending on who you pick, you'll have a slightly different game experience since each of them has a different weapon. Well, Steve and Billy have revolvers, and Bob and Cormano have a rifle and a shotgun, respectively, that act more or less the same, but we'll dive into them into more detail when we talk about the gameplay. I usually play as Billy whenever I would play Sunset Riders in the arcades, and I would do that for a few reasons. One, I like that he has a handgun. I've always been a fan of revolvers as a firearm in general. Two, Billy looks the most badass in the game's opening movie where he's dual-wielding two revolvers and delivering sweet justice like it's just another day. And three, his blue attire and his name make me think of Billy from Double Dragon, who's my favorite Double Dragon character. But more to come on our heroic bounty hunters a little later. When it comes to the presentation and visuals of Sunset Riders, it's a great-looking game. Obviously, the arcade version of the game looks and sounds the best overall, but the Super Nintendo captures that arcade look and sound exceptionally well. The game overall is pretty colorful, too. The four bounty hunters all have their own distinct color, but environments really pop. 
Now granted, when you think Wild West, you're probably thinking about a desolate desert town, complete with brown buildings, brown roads, and the occasional piece of tumbleweed. And while you're not wrong, the color palette used in this game is pretty vibrant. While dirt streets and wood buildings are plentiful, rivers are a vibrant blue, trees and grass are vivid greens, and the characters on screen really pop. Character animations are really well done too. Movement is smooth, and that includes walking, shooting, and jumping. All animations have a decent amount of frames, so you can really see more movement play out with every action your character takes, if that makes sense. Basically, your character doesn't look super stiff. The sound design is good overall in Sunset Riders, too. I don't know how to put it into words, and maybe someone listening will understand what I'm trying to say, but arcade games just sound different than console games. And I know, sound coming out of a cabinet in a wide-open public space sounds different than sound coming out of your TV in your living room, but the sound design in an arcade game has always been unique-sounding to me, and I just cannot explain it. But that smooth, detailed sound design translates to the Super Nintendo very well. Gunfire from your character feels very powerful and has a weight to it. The screams of your enemies dying has that perfect arcade tone, and picking up power-ups just sounds so good. You'll get to hear some of that coming up soon, but what I'm trying to say is the presentation of Sunset Riders is the complete package. Oh, and I can't forget the opening movie to the game. Drawn in that Saturday morning cartoon style that I mentioned before, the opening movie introduces the main characters in spectacular style. When the movie opens, we're shown an outlaw dressed in mostly purple attire, standing across one of the bounty hunters. It's clearly shaping up to be a classic Wild West duel. Hands are at each man's side, and the tension is mounting. The outlaw looks at the bounty hunter from behind the bandana covering his face. Almost in a flash, he goes for his gun. But the bounty hunter was quicker on the draw. With a muzzle flash, the outlaw falls backwards and hits the ground, dead as a doornail. Looking up from underneath the brim of his cowboy hat, Steve holsters his weapon and smirks. The only good outlaw is a dead outlaw. Next, we're introduced to Billy. With two revolvers in hand, he quickly dispatches a bandit in a nearby building who slumps out the window and another bandit that's off screen. Little effort is expended and Billy's face is cool as a cucumber. Across the way, another bounty hunter fires round after round from his rifle, his blonde hair in bright contrast against the dirt backdrop of the town. Firing a barrage of lead is Bob, a dead-eye marksman. And finally, we're introduced to the fourth bounty hunter in this posse of justice. He looks over to us and gives us a small smile. The kind of smile that lets us know that he's got our back. Dressed in a pink sombrero and poncho while sporting the manliest of Wild West beards, we have Cormano. Together, the posse of bounty hunters saddle up and ride towards the sunset. Adventure, danger, and glory await our heroes, the Sunset Riders. Now, even if I didn't throw any coins into the Sunset Riders arcade cabinet, I would always stop and watch this intro. It was just a minute long, but that minute always got me in the mood to strap on a pair of boots and holster a six-shooter and hunt me down some varmints. 
But in all seriousness, Sunset Riders has one of the best openings in all of video games, and I really mean that. If you've never seen it, check it out on YouTube or something. Chances are, if you've checked out an arcade or two when you were younger, you may have seen Sunset Riders and not realized it. Well, now that the opening movie has us all fired up for some action, I say we check out the game's opening level and get a feel for the gameplay experience that Sunset Riders has to offer. The first versions of the arcade machine had a dedicated joystick for all four bounty hunters so up to four people could play the game at once. On the Super Nintendo and even the Sega Genesis, you can play with up to two players. Just so we're not jumping around each system too much, we're going to talk about the Super Nintendo version since that's the one I played recently. So when you start up a game, you're taken to the character select screen and you can choose your bounty hunter. Steve, Billy, Bob, or Cormano. Each character controls the same, but where they differ is the type of weapon they carry. Steve and Billy both carry revolvers. When you fire their gun, it'll fire a single bullet that fires pretty quickly. Just like any revolver, they're semi-automatic, meaning you'll have to press the fire button on the controller each time you want to shoot. And just like Contra, you'll fire almost as quickly as you press your button. Now while Steve and Billy fight with their revolvers, Bob and Cormano will fight with a rifle and a double barrel shotgun respectively. Even though they are different weapons, they operate the same. Instead of a single bullet, they'll fire multiple bullets out in a spread pattern. It's almost like Bob and Cormano have the spread gun from Contra, but instead of the bullets traveling out in a wide arc, bullets are a bit more grouped together in a tighter cluster. They also fire semi-automatically too. Except for boss encounters at the end of each stage, all bad guys are going to die in one hit, so playing as Bob or Cormano usually makes the gameplay experience a little easier. Oh, and one more thing about our heroes. They don't have to stop and reload their weapons, so you can keep firing without needing to stop, which really adds to the gameplay experience. Alright, so let's get into this thing. At the character select screen, we decide to play as Billy, because Billy's my favorite character and it's my show and we're going to do what I want. Once we select our bounty hunter hero, it's time for action. Sunset Riders has eight stages to play through, and at the beginning of each one, we're shown a wanted poster that highlights the outlaw that we've come to take down, along with the cash reward amount. In stage one, we're after Simon Greedwell. Sort of as his name implies, he's a rich and greedy bastard that only cares for his money. Let's go show him what Wild West justice tastes like. When the stage begins, we're dropped in front of an old wooden building. Wood barrels and horse troughs are outside, and the sky above is a bright blue. We move Billy to the right by pressing the directional button in that direction. It doesn't take too long for us to come across our very first lower level outlaw. Dressed in dark green clothes and with a red bandana, he raises his gun and looks to fire at us. We don't give this guy the chance, and we hit our Y button to fire a few rounds in his direction. All it takes is one though, and when that bullet hits him, he goes down. He'll be the first of many to fall under our boot heels, but there'll be many more to come, believe that. 
As we move forward, we come across another building that actually has a second floor to it. On that second floor, another outlaw stands, ready to fire on us. We angle our weapon upwards by pressing the directional button in that direction, and fire off a couple more shots. Another one down. As we approach the building, we can see that the door is wide open. Pressing up on the directional pad has us run into the building. After a moment, we come out and we have our hands on the game's first power-up, a Silver Sheriff's Badge. Whenever we find one of these, whoever we're playing as will gain a second weapon that they'll be able to fire in their other hand, doubling their firepower. Hell yeah! Now Billy has two revolvers. The way he holds them will have bullets flying right out in front of him and upwards at about a 45 degree angle. He can also fire from a crouch, or if he's on a higher plane, he can fire downwards on enemies below. Speaking of a higher plane, after we collect our second weapon, we find that we can't move forward due to some wooden boxes in our way. Looking up, we notice this building has two floors and there's a walkway above. Pressing up and the jump button together, we jump up to the walkway. Anytime there's a second level like this, we can jump up or back down to the level below by pressing the D-pad in that direction and pressing the jump button. You're pretty nimble when you're doing this, and as an extra added bonus that we can use to our advantage later, we won't take any damage from enemy bullets while we're in this animation, so keep that one in your back pocket. As soon as we land up top and start to move forward, we spot another outlaw down below us. We aren't quick enough on the trigger and he gets a shot off. Bullets fired from the enemy actually don't travel all that fast, so we generally have more than enough time to evade them. As long as we don't let too many come at us at once, that is. In this case, we decide to jump over the incoming bullet by pressing the jump button. And because we're a complete badass, while we're in the air, we point the directional button downwards and fire our twin revolvers. The volley of bullets sail down and rid the Wild West of one more lowlife. Once we land, a new type of enemy starts to run towards us. Dressed in a pink vest, this guy doesn't have a gun, but instead he's brandishing a knife and running right at us. Whatever, he's the idiot that brought a knife to a gunfight, so we teach him the error of his ways with a hail of lead. But what's this? This guy actually ducks underneath our bullets and continues closing the distance. Right as the outlaw is about to swing his knife at us, we press down on the directional button to crouch down. Once we do, we fire again and this time we get our man. We'll have to be on the lookout for these crazy bastards as we go. If we aren't paying attention, we could end up with a few finely cut lines or pretty deep holes in us if we aren't careful. As the stage progresses onward, many more outlaws will try and come at us. Just like Contra, the general rule of thumb here is that you want to keep firing your weapon at all times. All it takes is one hit to take an enemy out, so if you're spitting out the lead and moving forward, you're generally going to hit most bad guys before they even pose a threat to you. But it would be pretty cool to have even more firepower though. Which brings us to our second power-up. A little ways after we jump down from the walkway that we're on, we'll see a gold sheriff's badge on the ground. 
Once we pick that up, we'll notice that our guns gain the rapid fire ability, and all we need to do is hold down the fire button for maximum output. And you can stack power-ups in this game too, so the two guns that Billy has on him both have rapid fire. Fuck yeah, now we're cooking. A little ways after that, we'll come across another outlaw dressed in red who decides to throw a stick of dynamite at us. If that thing explodes and we're anywhere near it, we can kiss our asses goodbye. If we walk over to the dynamite, we'll automatically pick it up. When we press the shoot button, we'll toss it out in front of us. This is a perfect way to get ourselves out of danger and potentially take a few outlaws out in the process. Just like the two outlaws who just walked right towards the dynamite on the ground. An exclamation mark flashes overhead right as it's about to blow, and then... Done and done. The first stage has a couple more surprises in store for our bounty hunter heroes, but I'll leave those for you to discover. The gameplay that I described is more or less going to be your gameplay experience for most of the stages in the game. You'll be moving from left to right, shooting any bad guys who want to take you out. Since only one bullet is all that's needed to take them out, keeping up a steady stream of gunfire is a very smart move. It's not going to guarantee you nail every bad guy that pops up before they get a shot off in your direction, but it'll significantly reduce those threats. Now the thing I really haven't touched on up to this point is the game's difficulty. I'd like to think I did a good job of walking you through the game's opening level and giving you a taste of the gameplay, but I may have made this game sound a little too easy. The problem is, Sunset Riders can get stupid hard sometimes. As you progress, more and more enemies are going to be throwing themselves at you, and there'll be no way that you'll be able to shoot them all before they can shoot back at you. Don't be surprised if you have three or four bullets slowly moving in your direction. You might be honing in on the word slowly and be thinking, I could probably dodge a few slow-moving bullets, no problem. And you might be right. The thing is, it's all going to depend on the bullet's position and where you're at. Got a bullet heading right at you and one heading just above you? Don't think about jumping or you'll take that second bullet right to your face. You'll need to consider ducking to get out of that jam. Basically, you have to be extremely aware of incoming fire and maneuver accordingly. If you aren't paying attention and think you can jump over a bullet and there happens to be another bullet you didn't keep track of, that's a very quick way to die. And if you put yourself in a corner and you have several bullets coming towards you from multiple directions, you may as well consider yourself fucked. Oh, and the bullets themselves are pretty small and they are pretty easy to lose track of. They alternate between a green and a red color, so you can see them if you pay close enough attention, but if you lose track of them or get distracted by something else, they might get you and you won't see them coming. For you, all it takes is a single bullet to put you down as well, so don't take a single bad guy for granted. He's just as dangerous as any other enemy in the game. That does remind me of one more tool that you have in your toolkit, too. While you're moving either left to right, you have the ability to perform a slide. Billy, or whoever you're controlling, will slide on their backside and they'll be parallel to the ground. This is a fantastic move if you have incoming fire heading towards you and you can't duck under it or jumping will put you in danger by being hit by another bullet. 
You aren't able to fire your guns while you're sliding, and when your slide stops, there's a very quick few moments where you'll be vulnerable getting back to your feet, so you'll have to bear that in mind. Plus, the act of sliding itself does not make you invincible, so don't rely on this move too much. I didn't really find myself using the slide too terribly often, though. Generally, I was able to move or duck or jump out of the way of incoming fire with relative ease most of the time. But, I will say, if you do slide underneath incoming fire and then pop up and deal a death blow to your would-be killer, you do look like a total badass, so there is that. Sunset Riders is a game that is going to test you, and pretty early on. While I argue that you should be able to complete the first stage with relative ease, it can still kill you off without much effort. When I revisited this game last week, I lost all of my lives and got a game over before I reached the very first boss. Now, that is more likely on me. I suck pretty hard at video games sometimes, but all it took was some practice and getting used to the game's controls, and I did much better as I went. Enemy locations are all the same every time, too, so if you really put the time and effort forth, you'll start to memorize where all the baddies pop up and be able to end them pretty quick. Now, don't even think about getting comfortable, though. Even with some practice, the bosses at the end of each stage will definitely give you a run for your money. Each boss in the game has their own gimmick and attack style, and they generally don't have an attack pattern to memorize. They may perform the same types of moves, but when they do it can be difficult to time. Basically what that means is they aren't so predictable that they'll fire their weapons three times, then stop, and then three times again and stop, for instance. Their movement and attack frequency can vary a bit, which is a good thing on one hand because it keeps the fight fresh every time you take it on, but on the other, it can make these fights pretty hard. In most boss fights, you'll have to contend with other basic enemies while the main baddie is on screen, so if you aren't playing aggressively, there's going to be so many bullets on screen that you'll be hit no matter what you do. So with that, I think this is a perfect time to talk about some of the boss encounters that you'll be facing in Sunset Riders. Let's start off with Simon Greedwell, the main outlaw that we're hunting at the end of Stage 1. We walk up to a two-story building that has two windows on the bottom level, two balconies on the second floor to the left and right, and then another bigger window balcony thing in the center of the second floor. That big window balcony area has two barrels in front of it that are about waist high, perfect for someone to hide behind it looks like. Then right on cue, Simon himself appears behind the barrels with a rifle in hand. He smirks at us and delivers one of the worst one-liners ever. It's time to hang. Then the fight is on. We can't hurt Simon until we shoot those barrels out of the way, so we'll have to dodge Simon's incoming fire while we work in our own attacks to whittle away at his barricade. But the battle isn't as simple as that. Sticking their heads out from the windows on the first floor and popping out onto the balconies of the second floor are some generic low-level scumbags. So while Simon is shooting his rifle at you, you'll have bullets flying at you from all angles. The best strategy here is to concentrate fire on the generic enemies to clear them out, and slowly chip away at Simon's barrel barricade. This is where moves like the slide will come in handy if you find yourself in a tight spot. Just don't let there be so many bullets on screen that you trap yourself in a corner or something like that. Once the barrels start to take enough damage, they'll start to blink red in classic arcade fashion. 
This means that they're pretty close to being destroyed, so keep up the fire. Just don't stand underneath them when they do fall, because they will fall on you, flatten you, and kill you. That is an embarrassing way to go, let me tell you. I'm pretty sure this little detail is true in all of the boss battles in this game, but if you concentrate fire on just the generic baddies and kill enough of them off, they'll stop appearing and you can concentrate your efforts on just the boss. It takes a minute or two to clear them all out, but it's well worth not having so many bullets flying at you. After you clear away the barrels, Simon is exposed and you can start pumping him full of lead. As he takes more and more damage and gets closer to meeting his maker, Simon will also begin to flash red. Once he's toast, he falls to the ground. With his final breath, Simon has one last request. Marry me with my money. And with that, we are victorious and we collect our bounty. Moving on to the second stage, we quickly find out that the gameplay is being changed up on us. This time, we're after another one of the Wild West's most dangerous outlaws. Hawkeye Hank Hatfield. Instead of being thrust into the game on foot, we find ourselves on horseback. After our horse rears back, we're off. While we're on our trusty steed, we can only move forwards and backwards. Things are moving pretty fast, and we'll need to contend with outlaws on horseback that will come in from the top of the screen and from the bottom of the screen. There's also a covered wagon in front of us that can take up about half of the screen, so we won't have too much room to move around. From inside the wagon, there'll be bandits shooting at us and dropping logs in front of us that'll take us out if we don't jump over them in time. Now, if you're anything like me, You'll get killed in this stage a lot while you're trying to get used to it. The logs that the bandits drop out of the wagon in front of you come with very little warning and once they hit the ground, you have to jump very quickly in order to avoid flying off your horse and losing a life. Shooting the guy holding the log as it drops doesn't prevent the log from being dropped either. What's worse, bad guys on horseback tend to get uncomfortably close to you before they shoot their guns, so you won't have much time to dodge their bullets either. And to make this stage even worse, there are no power-ups to grab either. I know in the arcade version of the game some of the bad guys would leave behind sheriff's badge power-ups on their horses after you took them out, but I've never seen any of those in the Super Nintendo version. So if you don't have any power-ups in hand coming into the stage, or if you have them and you die and you lose them, you're stuck with your basic weapon for the rest of the level. It's not the worst thing, but it's just another thing that's stacked against you. It will definitely take practice to get through this stage. Eventually, a train will travel alongside you and you'll have to take out some outlaws from the train, but that part isn't too bad once you get to it. Just be sure to shoot enemies as soon as they appear to avoid another bullet shower. Once you make it past the train, you'll get off your horse and get ready to have a showdown with Hawkeye Hank Hatfield himself. As you move forward, you'll spot Hank at the top of the screen. There's several waist-high boxes on either end of the screen, and Hank has a few bandit lackeys ready to pounce. After a brief moment, Hank initiates the battle by calling out to you. Yeah, at this point, the bullets start flying. 
The bandits just move back and forth from left to right, so taking them out is pretty easy, but Hank himself makes very good use of the boxes in front of him for cover. He'll only pop out to open fire on you, and his bullets move pretty fast. He doesn't stand still for long, though. Once you start hitting him or get close to hitting him, he'll dive into the next cover and hunker down. He's pretty fast and agile, and if you let some of the generic baddies get enough shots off along with Hank, there'll be a lot of bullets that you'll need to dodge in order to stay alive. I use the slide technique a lot in this battle. More than anything, just keep up the fire and stay aggressive while you're dodging bullets. And like I mentioned before, one of the best things you can do is concentrate fire on all the lower level lackeys until they stop appearing, so you can concentrate on Hank himself. Eventually, when you do do enough damage to Hank, he'll jump out of his cover and right next to you on your side of the screen. He'll start firing at you at near point-blank range, so you need to take him down and take him down fast. Luckily at this point, it doesn't take much to get the job done and he'll go down pretty easy, stating the obvious as he crumples to the ground. You got me. And with that, another bounty collected. With six more stages to go, that pretty much covers the overall gameplay experience of Sunset Riders. The game continues to get harder as you go, with more enemies on screen, differing stage designs, and faster enemy bullets, but the stages themselves aren't too hard once you play through them a few times. If you commit to some practice, you'll start to get a feel for where the enemies come from, and can almost start to predict where you need to concentrate your fire before they even appear. It's incredibly satisfying, not gonna lie. I had an absolute blast playing through a level and just taking out bad guy after bad guy. Given the environments, the level designs, good soundtrack and sound effects, it was hard not to get sucked into the experience. I genuinely felt like a good guy and I was there taking out the bad guys. Simple, clean fun. Some of the best games out there don't need to be more complicated than this. Overall, I don't think I have too many complaints about the gameplay experience as a whole. I still think the game is hard, and it gets pretty ridiculous as you get towards the end of the game, but I firmly believe that with enough practice and patience, you can get good at Sunset Riders. It's one of those tough but fair games, and if I ever got killed, I never thought it was cheap. Sometimes there can be so many bullets coming at you that you almost have no chance of making it through, but that's on you as a player to use your mobility and keep blasting away. I got good at sliding early on, and I also took advantage of those moments of invincibility you get when you jump to an area above or an area below. There's even a couple parts where you'll find yourself shimmying across a rope where you can jump up and re-grab the same rope, and then during that jump you won't take any damage either. Using these tricks, you're pretty set on staying bullet hole free. I do have one gameplay complaint now that I think about it. If your character is on an upper part of a level and his body is positioned over an area that he can potentially jump down to, pressing down on the directional pad will have your character duck and point their weapon straight down to fire on enemies below. You can't make him crouch and fire straight ahead at enemies in front of you. While this isn't the worst thing and certainly makes sense from a gameplay standpoint, this makes you wide open from attack from those dickheads who come running at you with their knives. 
Since they duck under your normal attacks, you have to duck down and shoot in order to hit them. Well, if you're on a second floor level and they come rushing at you and you try to crouch down above an area that you can drop down to, you'll point your gun straight down and not straight forward. So while you're trying to shoot them, you're actually shooting whoever's down below you. This particular design choice got me killed a couple times. What you need to do here instead is jump up and shoot this specific enemy from above, or drop down to the level below and shoot up at them. It is a minor gripe in the grand scheme, but I lost a few lives in the heat of battle that I probably could have avoided this way. I don't think it's bad game design or anything like that, again, it's just a complaint. Once it happens to you once or twice, you'll start to figure out what you need to do pretty quickly, and it becomes a non-factor. All in all though, Sunset Riders is a fun experience that I think everyone should spend a little bit of time with. I was hooked the moment I started playing it again, and even though I got my ass handed to me pretty often, I couldn't help but keep going back to it. I got better and better as I went, and I was able to make it pretty far. The bosses at the end of each stage are a true challenge in this game, and you'll have to really put your reps in if you want to get good enough to beat them. Some of the big bads include Dark Horse, a large muscular outlaw who shoots from you from atop his armored horse. You'll need to attack him from above if you want to win the day, but you have to be careful. The building's balcony above is swarming with regular bandits ready to make your life miserable. Then there's the Smith Brothers who offer a unique challenge. Inside a theater, each brother stands atop a balcony on either end of the screen. One tosses a bomb that explodes on impact, where the other throws a Molotov cocktail of sorts that doesn't explode, but covers a small part of the ground in flames for a few moments. You have to stay mobile to avoid the big bombs, but you need to watch your feet so you don't accidentally step on any flames that have cropped up. Luckily, there's a chandelier in the middle of the room that you can use. Indian Chief Wigwam is probably the last real standout boss to me personally. He's an agile opponent who will toss throwing knives at you. Because he's so quick and the arc that his knives take when they fly is so wide, he can kill you pretty easily. You might be able to slide under one knife, but another knife may just stab you in the toe. And just like most Call of Duty games that I've ever played, it only takes one knife to the toe to take you out. The battle with Wigwam is a true battle of reflexes and nerves. And while I tend to die more than I'd like, I usually have a pretty good time with this fight. Again, it's tough, but it's fair. Now, I played this game solo, but I'm sure it's much more enjoyable playing with a friend, family member, or even a total stranger if you're feeling adventurous. The arcade cabinet came in four-player and two-player variants, whereas the SNES and Genesis allowed you to play with up to two players simultaneously. The home console ports followed the same two-player rules that most beat-em-up games did back then. A second player can join any time during the game by pressing the start button on their controller. You and a pal can work through the game together. I'm sure it's a fantastic time playing this game with a friend, but I wonder if the game gets even harder with a pal, sort of like Contra can get. You see, player models are fairly large compared to the game area itself. While you move around at a decent pace and you can jump and slide, your hitbox is actually pretty large. That basically means there's a lot of you that you need to keep away from incoming fire. So I can only imagine how hectic having two characters on screen can be, let alone four on the arcade cabinet. 
I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure the experience is an absolute blast, but it just makes me wonder. If you've ever played Sunset Riders with a pal, let me know. I'm generally curious what your experience was like. So beyond that, there are a couple things the game does while in two-player mode that I think are sort of neat. As I'm sure we remember, first and foremost, our heroes are bounty hunters. When going against the main outlaw that you're after at the end of each stage, the game keeps track of who deals the most damage to the boss. After the boss kicks the bucket, whichever player dealt the most damage to the boss is the one that actually gets the cash reward and has it added to their total. I can see that adding a layer of friendly competition to those fights, so that's sort of a cool little thing. And I forgot to mention this earlier, but there's a couple of bonus stages that'll pop up between stages. To quote the instruction manual, <clears throat> It's your basic shooting gallery type of thing. Use the control pad to point the aim and doohickey at the bad guys that pop up, and then press the shoot button to blast them. You'll see your score after the stage ends, and in two-player mode, the fastest gun wins the bucks. So yeah, that's pretty cool too. Since I grew up as an only child, I never really chased high scores or numbers or anything like that. I loved watching the number go up, but it wasn't a driver for me. If I had someone to play with, I'm sure I'd be more into it, and I would definitely fight tooth and nail to be the best in those types of games, and especially this game. You know, for Wild West gunslinging bragging rights. As we start to wind down, I don't think I have too much more to say about the game itself. Like I mentioned before, this game is one I think everybody should try at least once and put a little bit of time in. I really think it's going to hook you pretty quick if you let it. But before we call it a show today, I thought it would be cool to share some of the things I discovered when it comes to the various versions of the game. The arcade version being the definitive, of course, but the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis versions of the game each have things that they added, removed, and even changed in their versions that I thought was kind of interesting. Since we're talking about the Super Nintendo version, the one I put my time into, let's start there. Overall, there aren't too many changes compared to the arcade version, but the few changes there are, are pretty drastic. First up, let's talk about the ladies. Every now and then, if you go into a building or need to rescue a damsel in distress, they're apparently much more conservatively dressed than they are in the arcade game. From what I remember, I think the gals just showed a little bit more leg, whereas the SNES version has them wearing dresses that go all the way down the entire length of their bodies. Also regarding the ladies, the enemies that throw the sticks of dynamite towards you are men in the SNES version, but they are actually female in the arcade version. They wore a denim-looking shirt with a pair of pink shorts and boots. If you follow the Retro Wildlands podcast on social media, I used a drawing that I found of this gal in the thumbnail I made when I advertised this episode if you wanted to go take a better look-see. Another little change involves your character touching fire. In the arcade, if you touch fire, your character will be engulfed in it and look like they're burnt to a crisp. It's very cartoonish, really. In the Super Nintendo version, that animation is gone and your character just falls over as if they've just been shot. I didn't dig deep enough to really understand the reasoning behind these changes, but I have to imagine that the developers knew that younger kids probably had more of a chance of playing this game than in the arcades and wanted to clean up some of the imagery. 
But now that I say that out loud, it might actually just be a Nintendo thing, because there wasn't too much censorship on the Sega Genesis version, but we'll get to that hot mess in a minute. Other changes included the complete omission of all Native American enemy types in the Super Nintendo version. Stage 6 is the one where you fight Chief Wigwam, but instead of fighting a tribe of Indians, you'll face just regular bandits. And in the arcade version, Chief Wigwam was actually named Chief Scalpum. Other than those glaring changes, the Super Nintendo is pretty damn close to the original look and feel of the arcade version. And then there's the Sega Genesis version. Now, I don't dislike the Genesis, don't get me wrong, but there are some games that have a Super Nintendo counterpart, and 8 times out of 10, I feel like the Super Nintendo version is better. Now that I'm thinking about that out loud, maybe I'll open that can of worms on another episode of the podcast, but for now, let's look at the Sega Genesis version of Sunset Riders real quick. From what I found online, Sunset Riders for the Sega Genesis was Konami's first, or one of their first games on the system. That said, they didn't have much to work with given the 4 megabit size of the Genesis game cartridge. Because of that, a lot of the game was either reworked or completely removed to allow the whole game to fit. First up, there's no opening movie for the game, it was cut out completely. Second, there are only two selectable characters, Cormano and Billy. Steve and Bob were cut out. Although, the character select screen comes equipped with a character bio for each man, and they're very humorous to say the least. So for Billy, we find out that his full name is Billy Cool, and you can't have a cooler name than that for a Wild West bounty hunter, right? His favorite food is vegetable. Yes, that is singular. And his favorite drink is coffee. His favorite word is... can you guess? No, it's not bounty. No, it's not varmint. And no, it is not yeehaw. It's justice. Cormano, on the other hand, his full name is Cormano Wild. His favorite food is beefsteak, and milk is his favorite drink. His favorite word? Courage. These manliest of men are your only options in the Genesis version. As far as other reworks, there are only four stages instead of eight. While the stages themselves are made longer to increase the length of the game, that means there's only four boss battles to fight all told. I personally don't care for the sound design in the Genesis version either. While the music and sound effects are there, everything has this metallic accent to them, like someone is dragging nails and razor blades across a metal table. That might be a little harsh, but I don't know how else to describe it. Also, any character voices aside from the occasional yee-haw are removed completely as well. The shooting gallery bonus stages are replaced completely with a new bonus stage type where you ride behind a covered wagon on horseback and a woman throws money out to you from the back of the wagon and you have to collect what hits the ground to gather points. Why this specific change was made is lost on me. Oh, and there's a two-player versus mode too. You and a friend pick your bounty hunter, and the two of you face off against each other to see who can reduce the other's life bar to zero first. The stage has a few boxes to jump on and a balcony that you can jump up to, along with an eagle who occasionally drops a health power-up or a stick of dynamite into the play area. 
I watched someone play it on a YouTube video, and I can see that game mode being super fun to play. For all about five minutes. Perhaps it's something that the younger ones will enjoy. It's a cool addition and only available on the Sega Genesis, but doesn't look like anything that's going to entice me. The Native American enemies stick around for the Genesis version, and the visual representation of the ladies is more in line with the arcade version. I don't know if the gals throwing dynamite in the arcade version are present in the Genesis version, though. Oh, and for some reason, bullets travel much faster in the Genesis version, so I have to imagine that adds a unique layer of challenge. It's all strange, though. The Genesis has the least censorship, but has the most gameplay and design changes. The Super Nintendo version is the most accurate from a gameplay standpoint, and has all the levels and nuances from the arcade, but it has the most amount of censorship. I don't know about all of you, but I find this sort of thing very fascinating. It's interesting to me to see the differences between game versions. Things like what was kept, what was cut, what was changed. I don't know, hopefully some of you listening feel the same way that I do. One of these days, I'll have to find a way to experience the Genesis version, just to say that I did. So to wrap it all up, Sunset Riders is a really special game. What I personally love most about it is that Wild West feel to it. There's plenty of games in this genre out there from the past, and even with us now in the present, though. Wild Guns, Call of Juarez, Gun, and even Red Dead Redemption. But Sunset Riders has a sort of staying power that matches or even rivals some of the best. Not only does this game make me feel like an actual bounty hunter, I have a damn good time while I play it. The game is a visual feast for the eyes. The sound design is great, the gameplay is fun, even if it is hard sometimes, and the soundtrack just seals it all in a nice package. It's hard not to have a good time with this one, so if you have a way to do it, I recommend giving Sunset Riders a chance. Strap on your gun belt, grab a cowboy hat, or even a sombrero, and jump right in. And if you could wrangle up a friend, even better. There's a ton going on in our world today, and it feels like all we do is work and stress ourselves out. A simple and fun game like Sunset Riders is just what the doctor ordered. That's all she wrote for today, my friends. This has been episode 21 of the Retro Wildlands Sunset Riders. Thank you again for taking the time out of your busy lives to check out the podcast today. I really do appreciate being able to hang out today and talk about a pretty cool game with you. While I talk up the Wild West aesthetic and all the good stuff this game has to offer, I really think you should play it and experience it for yourself. There aren't many games out there that tend to hook me like this game did, so it was awesome rediscovering this gem in the Wildlands this week. And I didn't know this until after I recorded the main part of the podcast, but Sunset Riders is available on the Nintendo Switch as an arcade archives game. 
Here in the U.S., it's priced at $7.99 pennies and appears to be a one-for-one port of the arcade version of the game. In the gameplay trailer that's over on Nintendo's website, the game itself looks pretty faithful, down to the female bandits throwing dynamite at you, so if you have a Switch and about $8 to spend, I don't think you can go wrong with this one. And if you do try this game, or you've played this game before, let me know what you think. How do you do that, you might be wondering? Very easy. Just check us out on social media. Just as a reminder on where to find me, the podcast has a presence on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search at Retro Wildlands. Feel free to interact with any of the posts that I've thrown out there, or you can shoot me a direct message if you want to chat directly. I'm on social pretty regularly throughout the day, so I'd be happy to get your feedback on the show, chat about your gaming memories, or just bullshit in general. And speaking of feedback, if you like the show today and you want to show it and myself some support, please consider following us on your preferred podcasting platform. I have to imagine you like the show enough to make it this far, so why not leave a good review on your podcasting platform if it gives you the ability to? The more positive reviews we have, the more the podcast circulates out into the wild, and that would be really awesome and very helpful for us to get us out there a little bit more. Now, if you really like the show and think we might have something here, please also consider spreading the word about the podcast to your family or your friends. Better yet, spread the word to that one clingy friend that just never, never leaves you alone. Are you tired of constantly being asked to hang out, or are you having to suffer through constant text messages from this person? Let them know about the podcast. It'll be something for them to do, and then that's their reason to leave you the hell alone. Plus, if they don't like the podcast, they're sure to never speak to you again, so it's a win-win. So what's coming up next week? Like I mentioned in the intro, I have my eyes fixated upon Resident Evil 3 or Tomb Raider, both for the original PlayStation. It's more than likely going to be Resident Evil 3 since I've been playing it in chunks on the go on my PlayStation Vita, but anything can happen. I'm pretty sure there's been a few podcasts where I've announced a game coming up or something that I've been playing, and then all of a sudden, a game I never mentioned gets an episode, so we'll just have to wait and see. Check us out over on social media. Once I lock in an episode, I'll let the world know either Saturday or Sunday. Either way, I'm excited to take the expedition out into the wildlands next week to see what we find, and I'd love it if you join us. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands. 